on this week's episode, reptilians terrorize a Colorado family, a vampire stalks the small town of Mineral Point, Wisconsin, and two dogs kill a small foot and a half tall alien. This week on Strange Pathways. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Strange Pathways. I am your host, Scott Mort. I had a blast this week. It was, uh, and and I had a couple rough days too, not going to lie, it wasn't all peaches and cream, but I had an absolute blast last Sunday. I'm sure others have heard, uh, some of you may be new to you, I auditioned uh, for more than a few roles in a local production of Spaceballs. It's it's going to be presented as an old-time radio show on May the 4th. I auditioned. I got the part of Dark Helmet. <laughs> I'm stunned as you are. And uh, I got interviewed for our local paper. I'll be sure to put a link up to that interview in the Facebook, the Twitter, what have you. But because of this, recording's going to be a little bit weird. I am going to do my best. I'm going to strive to get an, a new episode up to you every Sunday. But normally the way I do it is through the week, like Monday through Friday, I'm researching, I'm finding stories to talk about, I'm writing notes, saving artwork, that sort of thing. Saturday, I put it all together and get get everything refined, and then Sunday I record, I edit, I post. Things are a little bit nuts right now. Bear with me, I'm doing my best, but... Please, if you if you happen to be in the area of Johnstown, Pennsylvania, May the 4th, come on down to the State Theater, watch Spaceballs, and just point, I know that guy, Dark Helmet, I listen to his show. Anyway, on to today's tales. Our first tale is going to take us back to the evening of March 14th, 1981, Mineral Point, Wisconsin. I was actually searching for strange tales about the local area. There's a little town called Mineral Point, Pennsylvania. That's just three or four miles from where I live. But in doing so, I found Mineral Point, Wisconsin. Now, as I said, on March 14th, 1981, the police got a report. There was a strange man lurking in the Graceland Cemetery. They go out to the cemetery, start to look around, and an officer, John Pepper, he he finds somebody. He sees somebody standing in the Graceland Cemetery. And he walks up to them and he starts to notice that this is, 
this is a little odd. This person, if it can be called a person, this person is huge. He's wearing a black cape and his face is painted white. And this guy is ugly. Ugly. He's not... You can be huge and short, like me. But this dude is six foot five inches tall. Just a massive, massive man. John Pepper puts the flashlight on him and goes, What are you doing? And this person turned and ran. Never a good sign for the cops. Officer John Pepper runs after him. They, they get to a four-foot-tall fence at the edge of the cemetery. It's, it's right, right across from a cow pasture. They get right to the edge of that, and this pale man leaps over the four-foot fence... Difficult, but not impossible. There are Angus bulls grazing in the field. These are are massive creatures that you don't mess with. John Pepper is standing there. and like, well, it really wasn't a crime. We were just investigating. He ran. And very intelligently, Pepper decides... No, I'm not going after the huge man that's running through the field of massive angry animals. Pretty soon, everybody in Mineral Point is talking about the vampire that's been hanging out in the cemetery. Police are absolutely swamped with reports of these vampire-like creatures. Now, a few things that didn't help is that it was April 1st. And secondly, a few of the locals decided it would be funny to, to dress up like vampires, show up at the local bars, get their, get their friends to have a laugh or two. And eventually, it all died down. Fast forward 23 years later, March yet again, March 2004, the police get a call. The call states, hey, there's a really big guy. He's dressed in, he's dressed in black clothing and he's pale white. He's sitting in a tree outside of our apartment complex, making fun of us. The police, they arrive. And as soon as the police show up, the man flees. But it was snowing. It was snowing. Even though this man was 
too fast for the police to catch on foot. All they had to do was follow the tracks. And that's exactly what the police did. They followed the footprints right to a concrete wall. And that's where they ended. Either the individual went through the wall, over the wall, or dissipated completely. But those previous two encounters are nothing compared to what happened on July 11th, 2008 at around 10 p.m. One of the citizens of Mineral Point, a Brandon Hines, and his girlfriend, Jamie Marker, they were fishing. They're young people. Brandon's about 22 at the time. Jamie was about 19. And they're just having a little bit of a date. They're fishing off of the jetty on the far west shore of Ludden Lake. But then there are these sounds. It sounds like something is using the boards of the jetty like a ladder, climbing climbing it underneath them. They're a little freaked out. It, remember, it's 10 o'clock. So Hines begins stomping the board. He thinks some sort of animal has, has started to climb up the boards. He's, he's hoping that just will scare it away. There's no more sound, but Brandon aims his flashlight between the crack of the boards where he and his girlfriend heard this water splashing. He shines that flashlight down there and he sees this figure with dark hair and a very pale face pulling itself up onto the jetty. This figure begins to rise to its feet. Marker, she's terrified. She turns and runs up the path towards Brandon's vehicle. But Brandon Hines, he's keeping his flashlight aimed right on this figure. It's wearing some sort of cape and some sort of suit. Hines takes his flashlight. It's the only thing he's got that he can use as some sort of weapon. He throws it towards this figure. And he runs up the path after, after Jamie. Jamie's already in the vehicle. The doors are locked. She, she opens them quickly. Hines jumps in. Locks the doors and starts the vehicle. But Jamie sees the figure coming up the path and it's running full blast. She screams, Brandon, please hurry. They race off to the Mineral Point Police Department 
and immediately, immediately file a report. They send a patrol unit out to Ludden Lake. They find the jetty where Heinz and Marker had been. They don't find anything. They had left everything behind. So the next day, they go back to get their possessions. They find everything left just where it was, save for one thing, the flashlight. That flashlight, which is no surprise, the flashlight was tossed at, well, let's face it, a vampire. Brandon Hines said, whoever it is, they can keep the flashlight. A lot of people have theories about what the mineral point vampire is. Some believe it's related to the Ridgeway fandom of 1870. Other people think it's the ghost of the haunted Walker house nearby. Maybe this vampire is just a vampire, but the way it's leaping, the way it leaped over that 10 foot concrete wall in 2008, the way it jumps over the fence and into the pasture, the speed, the appearance. It, it's very much like a spring heeled Jack type character. It, Spring Hill Jack is fascinating to me. I've looked very deeply into it. There are times that I believe the people did see something. There are times that I believe that this was just a case of, of mass hysteria. But I've got to believe the people of Mineral Point, Wisconsin. You have police, men that are trained, men that are absolutely trained to observe and then you've got that huge span of time 23 years that's that's a long time 23 years between sightings I can't imagine if a huge 6 foot 5 tall man I'll tell you what, I know the way that the time has treated me in 23 years. I certainly can't run the way I used to. Can't jump the way I used to. I believe. I don't know if it's a vampire, but I believe the people of Mineral Point saw something that is not of this reality. Our next tale is going to take us all the way back to July 1968, Uravan, Colorado. The witness in this tale, she's decided to go by the name HK. 
Now, in 1968, her family and her were living in this town in the west end of Montrose County, Uravan, Colorado. They have this cute little dog, Tippy. And one early July morning, HK is awakened by Tippy barking outside of her bedroom window. Tippy was very territorial. She never really barked unless someone or something was in the yard that wasn't supposed to be. A car driving up the driveway, a deer, fox, what have you. HK was in a dead sleep. But Tippy is barking and barking and barking. And the first thing that comes to HK's mind is, why are her parents and her older brother not telling Tippy to stop? Maybe they're, they're just as tired as she is, and she has enough of it. She turns and looks out the window, expecting to see maybe nothing, maybe a stranger, maybe an animal. But what HK instead sees is a small circular ship with its landing gear down and a hatch with stairs folded all the way down to the ground. Whatever was in the ship is now out of it. And they're standing right next to it. Bright yellow eyes. Some of them have tanks on their back. Some of them are holding a bag. They're green lizard men. They don't have fingers, but they have these web hands that kind of look like a bow and arrow. Thin, scaly bodies. Thin legs. Their feet have these weird V-shaped toes. And she thinks to herself, this is some kind of hunting party. Her dad's a bow hunter. So she knows that that just the way that they're moving around, it's like her dad and his friends going out hunting. She can tell they're searching for something. Suddenly, another entity comes off the ship. It's much, much bigger than the others. And it seems to be giving them orders. Tippy's barking reaches a frenzied pace. And it grabs the main alien's attention. The main alien is is upset. It's looking over at Tippy. And it's starting to walk over to her. HK jumps off of her bed, heads to her parents' room to try to wake her mother up. But she can't. It's, it's like her mother's been drugged. She shakes her and she shakes her and and she's yelling and screaming, Mom, get up, get up, get up. There's something wrong. There's something going on outside. It's going to hurt Tippy. 
That's enough to get mom into action. She's still not awake. She's sluggish. But that motherly instinct, right? That amazing thing that mothers and fathers have to protect their children, to protect their their family. And you know, I'm I'm of the I'm of the ilk. Pets are family. I'm I'm sitting right here recording. My cat Greta is at my feet. She's looking over at her daughter, Jazzy. The stray that we took in a few years ago, Newton, is is sitting over there. They're family. They're family. And that instinct for a mother or a father to protect their family is strong. It can fight off a lot. It can fight off death. I've seen that. And whatever, whatever these aliens did that didn't really affect HK, or maybe they missed her, well, whatever they did, it's not enough to fight off a mother's caring. The mother follows HK to the bedroom, and she shows her mom what's going on. The mother still can't see them. All, all she wants to do is sleep. But still, still, she, she, she goes on. HK's mother, not seeing anything, says, crawl to the other side of the bed, away from the window. HK does what she's told. No sound is coming from Tippy at this point. The last thing that HK remembers before going off to sleep. She looks over to the closet where the window casts light on her clothes. And she can see a shadow of two of the lizard things trying to look in the window. HK is, is strong to point out her mom wasn't drinking, not taking any medication. She thinks that they did something to the family to make them sleep that didn't work on her. After this incident is over, the first thing that HK does, she runs out and she checks on Tippy. She's lying in the front yard waiting for waiting for someone to come play with her. She's acting like nothing has happened. At the time, HK was 12 years old. It wasn't a dream. It wasn't a hallucination. We talked about this in last week's episode. I have strong memories from the age of four or five that I know just aren't real. My memories from the age of 12 are real. Absolutely real. So I believe HK. HK has created an image of what the lizard people look like. I'll be sure to post that up on the Facebook and the Twitter and the Instagram so that everyone can see it. It is is somewhat off-putting. 
One final footnote to this tale. On the night HK lost her mom, she passed away in 2016. She looks over at HK and says, do you remember seeing the lizard people in their ship in our yard in Colorado? That was the only time, the only time that the mother ever acknowledged anything happened. Our final tale takes us all the way back to either early May 1914 or 1913 at around 10 in the morning, two and a half miles west of Farmersville, Texas. At the time, Sylvie J. Latham was only 13 or 14 years old. He was, he was a farm boy, as was his two older brothers, Sid and Clyde. Sid, Clyde, and Sylvie had decided to go out and chop cotton. Now, I didn't know what chopping cotton is. Uh, I imagined it was some sort of old turn of phrase, and whenever I looked up the definition, I was I was right. Chopping cotton is whenever you go out and you take a hoe and you just pull the weeds out with that hoe. You can't do it right away. You have to wait until the cotton's old enough and strong enough to to withstand the process but apparently it's just a term for taking a tool and pulling the weeds out so that all the nutrients are going towards the cotton and all the sunlight is going towards the cotton i'd never heard that phrase before and you know my dad was born in 1918 worked on farms my my mom grew up on a farm back in 19 19- 47 was whenever she was born. Never heard the term chopping cotton. Now, these were both northern farms. Cotton's not really grown in the north, so that may be why. Sid, Clyde, and Sylvie, they have uh, two dogs that join them, Bob and Fox. They're out chopping the cotton, and then they hear this, this howl. This just It was unearthly, this howl. The three boys, they're, they're worried something has happened to the dog. So they, they run about 75 feet up and they get into a fence row. The dogs have something cornered. Clyde, he was the faster of them. He, he got there first and he looks and turns to the other two and said, there's something in there. It must be something bad. And then he looks again and goes, Boys, it's it's just a little man. Now, this is whenever Sylvie looked and he saw a little man standing just over a foot and a half high. He's just standing still and he's just staring toward the north. He's he's not the same color as you would think a human would be. And yes, I know that humans come in all sorts of collars, but one of those collars is not green. 
he was green all over. Now, maybe he was wearing some sort of suit. Maybe not. There was a hat. There was a hat with a wide brim on the back of his head. But it's all one piece with the rest of the body. Now, this little creature, it did nothing. It didn't even acknowledge the dogs. But the dogs are furious. They are snarling and biting. And they're just ready, ready to tear in. And sadly, right after the three boys show up, that's, that's what they do. They tear this tiny little creature limb from limb. And Sylvie said, the blood and guts went everywhere. The blood was red. The guts looked like guts. And he said, we were kids. Not, not only were we kids, we were country kids. We didn't know what to do. The dogs just chewed the little creature to pieces. What do you do? You just go back to your job. You go back to chopping cotton. They did tell their parents. No one believed them. They went back to that same spot several times that day. After that, they never returned to that spot. It's... We often think of these entities as the intruders. But in this case, I mean, no doubt about it. It it really seemed like whatever this creature was, it was outside of its scope. The, the pausing is interesting to me. No matter what, no matter what situation, you usually try to fight back. No matter what. I don't care if, if a, a boulder is falling on you. And you will see it. Like, you know, whenever people, people get crushed, they tend to put their hands up. You know, just on the off hope that they're strong enough to push whatever it is that's going to crush them away. But this thing, this creature, it just stood there and let it happen. Now we have have heard tales, even in this week's episode, we've heard stories about, about aliens being able to induce paralysis. And my mind kind of goes to was this guy being executed? Was, was this a creature who had done something against its society, paralyzed, and put on a planet or in a reality? You know, it's, it's foolish to think just a planet. But maybe this creature was put into some sort of reality where they knew it was too dangerous. It's just a matter of time. He can't move. He won't survive. Put him on Earth. Earth will take care of it for us. 
Thank you for joining us once again here on Strange Pathways. Our Twitter is Pathways Strange. TikTok and Instagram, Strange Pathways Podcast. Come on over to our Facebook. We're going to have some images up concerning the tales that we spoke about this week. If you would like to get in contact with me, tell me a tale that happened to you. Ask me a question. Just say hi. Strangepathwaysmail at gmail.com. Please head over to the YouTube channel, like, comment, subscribe, and get the word out there. Tell your friends, tell your family. It's it's a great podcast if I may toot my own horn. And you know what? It's growing a little bit week by week by week. And I thank each and every one of you so much for that. Thank you for being patient with me while I get through uh, May the 4th. And if you happen to be in Johnstown on May the 4th, please come over to the State Theater. Watch me perform Dark Helmet in Spaceballs, the radio show. Thank you once again for joining me this week. Take care of yourselves and each other.